So yeah, hello, it's Alex from Coffee and Alex, and I'm with Dr. McQueen. Could you introduce yourself for me, please? I can. Yes, my name is Hilary, and um, I work at UCL, Institute of Education. I've worked there for, well, it's about 12 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, I worked um, as a psychology lecturer in a college, uh, but I've also studied music. And when I joined the Institute of Education, uh, I was a researcher doing some research um, to do with music education. And um, I've done a few projects since then. Mm-hmm. The most recent one is a two-year project I've done for Society for Music Analysis mm-hmm. about the teaching of music literacy. Um, so I have sort of varied portfolio <laughs> <laughs> of things that I've done. And at the moment, I am still working in teacher education, but I also have been working on the BA in Education Studies. Um, so one of them was about how people learn. That was one mm-hmm. module I was doing. And the other one was to do with living in a school society. So a bit of a mixture, but I have an interest in music, psychology, philosophy, lots of things. So, yeah, I saw, I had a quick look on your LinkedIn page before um, I wrote the questions. And I saw, were you a pianist performer for the LCM? Did you do music performance? Oh, um, I've got, yeah, I've got an LCM. Uh, yeah, uh, that's right. I, yes, because that's, uh, I also teach the piano. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've got well, like, No, I find that really interesting. Do you think there's, because I suppose all subjects kind of link together to a certain degree, but do you think kind of philosophy, psychology and music, is there a bit of an overlap there particularly, do you think? There's a very strong overlap between philosophy and psychology, because philosophy is the root, really, of psychology. Mm. Um, and music, yes. I, I think actually music is one of those subjects that really spans a lot of different where the influences started off that would be really useful I think um, going back in a bit later as well but the main question I kind of wanted to well there's a few things I wanted to ask you but I've been saying so I've had a few different artists on and I've said that the way I see art is a way of doing philosophy uh, what do you think about that because obviously there's the main terms and it gets quite fiddly defining these things but do you think there's something in that at all? idea I think um, those kinds of uh, trying to sum up um, what something is can be quite difficult and, mm. uh, because um, there are so many different options in a way and everybody has their own uh, way of looking at things even if you read other people's definitions you still come up very often with your own one um, <laughs> I mean sort of art doing philosophy um, I suppose that begs the question of what you mean by philosophy quite Um, about aesthetics and so on. Um, I mean, I was, 
I'm really interested in, I've been reading, I have been reading, Paul and Kaufman's, uh, touched on it, not read in depth, but I've touched on Paul and Kaufman's book, 2014, mm -hmm. which is the philosophy of creativity. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what's interesting is the different ideas about whether um, whether art or arts more generally um, are a kind of are we inspired, you know, the, the, the word inspired literally meaning breathed into, um, you know, is that something that, that kind of that comes to us um, or is it something that everybody could do? Mm. Is it something that um, is different from other things in some way? And so um, when you say doing philosophy, I'm having to think a little bit hard about that one. I mean, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I kind of took that from Matthew Lettman. And obviously, I'll bring him up later. And his um, COPI model or COPI model, Communities of Philosophical Inquiry, where he, I suppose, boldly said that he saw this method as a way of doing philosophy. Um, but then that is communal inquiry, which is different to philosophy. Mm -hmm. But then, like you said, uh, just to kind of put it into a different context, though, I mean, I know there have been a few philosophers who've tried to define philosophy as a subheading for lots of different types of cognitive mm. functions and perhaps whether the inquiry you can do through artistic practice can be a means of philosophical inquiry i would i would agree with that actually um i think so and i but there i would i would mean philosophical in the sense of sort of deep thinking deeply about something mm. um and you know, trying to portray that depth of thought in a way, trying to get it from the mind out there into the world, partly because I think the creative process is helpful in developing one's own thinking, mm. but also because people have that urge to sort of share, share those thoughts in some way. And um, words are, it can be okay, but they can also be a very um, sort of restricted way mm. of, expressing those kinds of deep thoughts um, so I think you know there, there was a question about whether all musicians all artists are fundamentally philosophical um, and I think maybe that there is an element of truth in that uh, in the sense of deep thoughts about some quite difficult things to think about um, you know I suppose they always have to yeah. be reflective to a stimulus to a degree um, mm -hmm. So it's always reflecting on something, but then whether reflecting is necessarily philosophical or not, I suppose is a different question. But just going back, I thought you said something quite interesting before about can everybody be creative? Can everybody kind of be artistic? Do we have these ideas or do these ideas come to us in a way? Um, what would your take on that be? Mm. Well, <laughs> thinking about the education system, uh, sort of sidetracking a bit, I think mm -hmm. one of the difficulties with our education system is that it, to some extent, discourages creativity because it's about, increasingly, about training people to do things certain ways. Mm -hmm. um, in theory, I think everybody is creative. Um, and certainly the humanists would say that, that it's a, a need, it's an intrinsic need of humans, that once you've been through all the, the lower um, levels, uh, mm. that you then reach the, um, the, you know, the sort of the need for aesthetic 
know, and the sort of creative process is part of all that. Um, apologies for that sound. <laughs> so I think so. But there are certain forms of creativity that seem to be recognised more than others. And I was always fascinated. Uh, I've got a very good uh, friend and former neighbour uh, who I went to school, mm-hmm. who is an artist now. Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. Wonderful work, yeah. But she didn't do that well in her A-level art exam, mm. um, her GCSE, GCSE exam. I, I can't remember which one it was now. But she didn't do that well. And the reason for that is that there is a sort of, this is how art should be done in order to be judged by others um, for those kinds of exams, which doesn't necessarily capture um, how good somebody is at being creative, for example, because you know there are constraints. You have to, you have a brief and all that kind of thing, which um, doesn't necessarily fit that person's version of creativity. Um, so I suppose everybody can be. I think. Um, very often people do have that desire to produce things, to create things. Um, and it, it is just, yeah, it, it's just that not everybody does it. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't get a chance um, these days. But then also, I suppose, we could go on a whole nother rant on what exactly we mean about being creative and um, separating it from yeah. artistic practice, because perhaps you aren't a writer or a painter or a drawer but there's some form of creativity on your day-to-day routine, which is a form of outlet, um, whether you're aware of it or not. But um, it was interesting what you said about your friend who didn't do so well. The first person I had on was Albert, who's the founder of Bud Studio. And he's done quite well in art. Um, He's got a recent grant from the Mayor of London for his recent project. And um, yeah, there's a few things going on for them at the moment. But he failed art, I'm pretty sure, at school. And his teachers told him not to bother with it, which is a very similar thing to what you're saying about your friend. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? Because... Um, very often the school system suits certain people who are quite good at uh, meeting the requirements of the exams, um, mm. which doesn't necessarily mean that that is going to be that helpful in the future for particular um, subjects. And the, uh, the other thing I was going to say, it's interesting that, because um, I was thinking about what it means to be creative when you said that, mm. and uh, I had a, a student teacher recently who taught art, she was from Japan, and mm-hmm. I didn't know that in Japan, the way they learn art is to all the students sit and copy something very, very carefully. And the person who does best is the one who's made the most beautiful copy. And they are amazing. The work they produce is fantastic. But it isn't novel. The, the sort of the expectation is that it's very precise. And uh, I found it very interesting to think about that because there is an idea about you. So what is creativity? And the general sort of definition of that is something new Mm. um, and something that's valued. Well, they weren't really producing anything new. (laughs) They were just reproducing. Mm. But then she was one of the most creative people I've met in terms of her artwork because having got these incredible skills, she was then able to use those for her own purposes. So it's an interesting idea about can you teach creativity or is it about sort of learning skills which you can then channel into your own sort of creative ideas? And I'm not quite sure I know the answer to that, but I was fascinated to hear their 
which is so different from um, sort of the UK artists. That's really, really interesting. Um, one of the things that I kind of got into during lockdown was Go, because I didn't know much about <laughs> Go, and I found it a really fascinating idea. And in Asia, I think um, Japan and Korea and China particularly, you have Go schools and um, yeah. children will go there and learn the set way to play Go, um, which is kind of similar to this. But Davide, who was the last person I had on, he moved to Scotland um, in his mid-twenties and he's always painted and painted from quite a young age and um, has recently gone to the Glasgow School of Fine Art and he would agree that you should get trained first though he went with his own kind of outlet to begin with and that's what got him interested in it and developed his ideas from what I'd like to take further. So I wonder if it's a bit of both, but I also wonder if you practice a lot in your own time, then perhaps it's almost the same thing, but you're refining your own concepts, if that makes sense. That's interesting because you're now t tapping into sort of the, the idea of intrinsic motivation, which is the sort of the humanistic principle that mm. uh, people are drawn to, sorry, that's a pun there, uh, not intended, uh, are attracted to, um, you know, certain activities. Um, also, very often they are something that they have already experienced. It might be in their family or something that they have done um, at school, perhaps, and it's just, it's for some reason, it's really interested them. Um, so, yeah, uh, intrinsic, it's a difficult one. Intrinsic motivation is a really interesting term. That was the term you used, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. Now I'll have a look up on that because I think intrinsic motivation, I haven't called it that, but that's something I've always been a bit of a believer of. Though it's also interesting to say that most of these things come from what I would presume childhood. Mm, yes, this is why it's quite a, a tricky concept, I think, you know, you're then sort of drifting into the area of is there such a thing as talent? Uh, are there people who are born, for example, with artistic skills? Um, some way that their brain is organised in that way, and uh, probably the answer is to some extent yes. But that then takes you into the whole nature nurture idea <laughs> of how much of it is innate and how much how much of it is to do with your environment, um, and inevitably it's um, probably some both. I think. Um, well, I think this goes in. This, I think this goes into my next question um, quite well. About obviously, you have a background in music, um, like we touched on, and um, about improvisation, um, because we've talked about intrinsic motiva um, motivation. What do you think of? How do you teach people how to improvise first? And um, yeah, would you be able to go into a little yeah. bit about the theory involved with that? Yeah, that's a very, very good question. Actually, <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Um, uh, the general principle would be that having got these skills, then you are able to improvise because um, to improvise is just to use the instrument um, freely. And if you don't have a good mastery of the instrument, then you can't really do that. You can do some very simple improvisation, I guess, but it wouldn't necessarily be that satisfactory. Mm. Um, I have seen a very interesting video of, um, I believe it was, Chinese students um, who are, have a sort of improvisation, sort of a competition really between the students. And in this country, there is a performance element. So in the UK, if you're studying music and your specialism is, say, the piano, you would perform to your peers and they would do the same and there would be, you know, sort of discussion around the performance. 
particular class, it was all about improvisation. So they would come on and they would just have to improvise. They would literally have to do something from scratch mm. in front of everybody. And what was really interesting was the, the skills that they had for improvisation were not uh, all arguably creative in the sense that they had certain patterns that they used and all they were doing was putting together lots of different patterns that they'd already learned, which in a sense is what improvisation is. But to do that, there, there's a question about how, how creative that can be. So some of them seemed more creative in the sense that they were able to put together these patterns with very, very great facility and create something out of that that would seem very um, like it had been written almost because, you know, it had that sort of um, coherence about it. Mm. Um, so there isn't ever really a, a good answer to that question. I think in principle you can teach something about improvisation, but I also think that there is some level of... Um, I don't like the word talent really, but mm. <laughs> it, is, it is used quite regularly um, of, of something that, that people are able to do. And I think also that people tend to do it more, I would say, when they're younger. And that might be because once you get older and you have learned so much, in a sense, you've got too much overload of stuff that already exists. And the great thing about being young is you have that sort of freedom. Um, you're never quite sure whether you've created something in improvisation that somebody's already written. It doesn't matter so much. It's just sort of free. Um, uh, so I think you know that's, that's a great thing for, for young people to remember. You know, be free of all the knowledge that you might have later on. You've got some knowledge, but create from that. It's absolutely great. Um, it reminds me of the the kind of um, the concept you find in some Asian traditions of unlearning um, yeah. as opposed to learning. But um, yeah, it also I've touched briefly on blues improvisation before, yeah. and it's similar to what you talked about because I suppose you can get very complex with it. But it's one people are taught quite early on in their musical career, and you start off with that kind of thing, and you get things like the cool and return, um, and other yeah. things when you're kind of um, you know, like you said, they're set patterns. But um, yeah. interestingly as well, I mean, this is a kind of sub question, but can you ever really create anything new because? Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's intertextual kind of feeds. <clears throat> there's something you look at in English literature quite a lot when, you know, books are obviously influenced by other books and have ideas taken from other things and contextual things at the time. But I think that, again, oh, actually, no, there is a question I'd like to ask first, which is, do you think anything to do with improvisation could be, or creativity could be used to teach other subjects at all? Yeah, I, yes, I think probably yes is the answer to that. The reason I was hesitating was I was trying to think about subjects where it's not sort of traditionally seen as part of that subject, for example, science. But in fact, um, once you've got a lot of knowledge of science, there are some very creative things going on about how to make new chemicals, you know, how to combine mm -hmm. chemicals for something and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I think... I think it can, yes. Uh, what, <laughs> this probably sounds very biased, but I think one of the places where I sometimes think that the teaching, particularly at the, at the sort of the 16 to 18 year old um, stage of business, is very lacking in creativity. Um, 
it's it's rather formulaic and I think people draw very strongly on um, existing businesses and that kind of thing but in fact that is no different from anything else where people are drawing from things that have already been done um, sort of completely challenging the boundaries I think occurs more often in things like music and art where um, you know the famous white blank white canvas you know, um, mm-hmm. that sort of thing or cages um, piece of music which is silence for silent performance or whatever it is, that's it, that's the performance, it's just silent, someone sitting at a piano. Um, and these these are sort of things that, that are challenging people's ideas of what something is, and it's a new thing. But actually that's, um, that makes me think about two things to do with new, Alex. Um, mm-hmm. so one thing is that the new element is seen as really important in creativity um, for most definitions. For example, a pastiche, um, which believe comes from ancient words for a blend or a mix of pastries, you know, bread and cake mixed <laughs> together. So that I, the idea of a pastiche, you know, this mixture of styles, which is, is sort of copying something that's already been done in a way, sort of mixing it up with, you know, you doing it and something's already been done. But that's quite a, a sort of pejorative term, but mm. negative. And um, so what, what seems to be valued by not necessarily everybody, but those in the artistic world seems to be something that could be said to be truly different and novel in some way. Um, So that's one thing. But whether you can create something new is an interesting question, isn't it? Those uh, examples that spring to mind would be people who have sued somebody in music, for example, they've written a song and they've been sued by somebody who said that they already composed it and they've Mm. stolen it. Um, in uh, other circles, one doesn't talk so much about pastiche, you talk about plagiarism mm. and actually, you know, stealing something in a sense that somebody else has created, which is a very bad thing to do. Um, and it's very difficult, isn't it? Because what's to say that you couldn't write a piece? Why couldn't somebody write Beethoven's Fifth Symphony without ever having heard it or knowing who Beethoven was? In theory, it is vaguely possible that one could do that. Um, so then you get into the area of sort of uh, copyright and ownership, ownership of a creative idea. Um, so it, it's it's sort of, you know, once you start opening this box of... <laughs> yeah, where, where do you start? Yeah. No end to it, yes. Uh, it's a really, no, it's a really interesting concept. Um, and for my portfolio, the stuff which I've written for Edgeland, um, I'm allowed to use it on my portfolio as long as I say that Edgeland owned the, the piece. Yes. But but if one word was different in the in the story, then I could say that I owned it, which is quite odd to think because if you only had a couple of small differences, then it's then a completely original piece, even yeah. though it's essentially exactly the same piece. Right, interesting. Yeah, but I think this leads on quite. Um, so I won't go quite into Matthew Lippmann's community of philosophical inquiry model. I think we touched on it briefly earlier. But his definition of creative inquiry, which he describes as the rearranging of information we already have. And this is where I was more going down into the route of could art be used to teach other concepts? If I mean, artistic inquiry is separate to creative inquiry, but they're surely or certainly very closely linked. Um, so I wonder if some artistic practices could be used as a means of um, acquiring knowledge, um, you know, kind of skill acquisition, not skill acquisition, but 
you know, the acquisition of knowledge and information. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, so so for this model, you would go through, you begin with kind of making questions about a stimulus, then the um, the learners will decide what order they want to ask the questions, and the, the model kind of then goes about, um, you know, them regulating who asks what, when. And then at the end of it, you would then do something like, um, I don't know, making a picture, but that would be a very lazy attempt of doing so. But you would do something artistic, um, perhaps perform a presentation or, um, you know, make something, um, maybe a monologue or any form of kind of artistic kind of outlet where you're taking the stuff that you've discussed and you've made and then you're putting it into um, an artistic kind of form and then presenting it. The idea being that you're rearranging the information in an artistic kind of way and that it's more likely to stimulate deep learning, you know, learning that the knowledge will stay in your brain, so to speak. Yeah. Um, well, so, so sorry, the question was, uh, what do I think about doing that? Or what what do, you, do you think that those kind of methods, do you think it would be, it could be beneficial to use those methods in other subject areas? Um, or do you think perhaps not? Um, perhaps as opposed to kind of chalk and talk, I suppose, to, um, you know, trying to mm, go on. Well, if you were to completely revise the education system and start again, Mm -hmm. then perhaps that would be a good option. I think the difficulty with doing that is the constraint of things like exams. So Mm. you can do it in certain environments you could probably do it for anything that's some kind of enrichment to a curriculum in in standard educational institutions Um, or as I say you could rethink the education system I think in primary school there is a lot of scope for that kind of approach Um, and I don't know enough about primary school education to say whether that is done by some people or not it sounds more down the line of sort of Montessori education or something where Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can you can do different things. You're not restricted in the same way uh, by, say, the national curriculum that is very strong in in schools. Um, so i I do think I do think that's a good approach. Um, I suppose when I'm thinking about education, I have to think right across all the levels, all the different mm. um, people, and so on, um, and and. You know, this something about asking questions is interesting. I um, was recently observing a, a lesson for people with learning difficulties, and what struck me was that um, <laughs> the main teaching method was asking questions, which is often seen as a very good thing. But actually, it was very oppressive because everything was a question. And so it made me think, what else is there apart from sort of asking questions that could be done for anybody, actually? Um, so I haven't finished asking that question to myself yet. But I did think <laughs> just to just to let you know, we have two and a half minutes left. That's Thank gone um, quite quickly. But um, okay. yeah, I suppose. I mean, the last kind of thing I wanted to ask is basically where we're at, which is could mm-hmm. because asking questions is a, a good um, is certainly a good way to learn and a good way to try to get people to think for themselves. But then if you're making people only do that, mm-hmm. and I suppose that kind of going back to what we're talking about, I wonder mm-hmm. if. I wonder if there isn't enough scope for people to essentially use their minds freely to kind of go towards what they 
are intrinsically motivated, I suppose, to do. Uh, I, I suppose that was a really good time to bring up because I suppose that's kind of the debate in my head is intrinsic motivation, the kind of soul thing that people should kind of try to pursue or should people be forced to learn things? You know, I'm a believer that all things are useful, but I do think that learners should be uh, empowered to kind of follow their own direction. Mm. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, I know we don't have long, but I think it's a very huge sort of question to finish with um, mm. that I can only just touch on, which is uh, it's about, um, I mean, this kind of goes into, for me, into the area of sort of social justice and in education, which many people would argue is lacking. And those opportunities that people get to pursue their intrinsic motivation, um, or even to have intrinsic motivation encouraged or um, even perhaps created, I, I, I would even go as far as that, is very much dependent on family circumstances mm. and um, you know what's available, and also on, on schools, I think, as well. Um, so just to sort of finish with one of my favourite schools, which is Summerhill, and you know where things aren't or weren't, it's a little bit different now, but Summerhill School uh, by uh, A.S. Neal set it up, is um, it, w the principle was, it was all about people choosing what they wanted to do. And the interesting thing was that people began to choose things that they previously wouldn't have chosen, such as maths or something else. And so I do think that there is scope for a very, very different education system that gets away from some of the principles we're stuck with at the moment to do with schooling which I think um, is an issue. However, I think out of that, sometimes the restrictions begin to, uh, people try to burst free from that. And I think that's where some of the creativity comes from. So it's a bad thing to have bad experiences,